You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 212 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our saying this week is judging the time, and our feature text is Sayings Gospel Q 12, 54-56, but he said to them, When evening has come, you say, Good weather, for the sky is flame red, and at dawn today is wintry, for the lowering sky is flame red. For the face of the sky you know to interpret, but the time you are not able to. Our companion text is Matthew 16, 2-3. He answered them, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. And you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Luke 12, 54-56. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And Gospel of Thomas 91 verse 2, he said unto them, you examine the face of the sky and the earth, but the one who is before you, you have not recognized. You do not know how to test this opportunity. As we've been discussing over the past two weeks, the context of our saying this week is the economic and political stress in Galilee and in Judea in the early first century. The poor were being exploited, and and there were movements that used nationalistic sentiments that uh, resented the rule of uh, the Roman Empire. And as in most cases throughout history, those who have less, um, or rather less to lose, are the ones who are willing to take the greatest risk. These nationalistic movements would have resonated deeply with the exploited poor, and its members would have resonated most deeply with a a make Jerusalem great again kind of message. Uh, But but what were the results? Three decades later, the, the poor rose up and they forced the political and economic elites from the temple, they burned the debt ledgers, they erased all the debts, uh, they're literally forcing a jubilee of, of canceling all debts, and they took up arms to engage in a liberation movement to free themselves from Roman taxation and rule. And this Jewish-Roman war lasted from 66 to 69 CE, and then in the following year, the tense situation became even worse between the Jewish people and the Roman the empire, it escalated again, ending in a, a backlash from Rome that wiped out Jerusalem for everyone, rich, poor, elite, socially marginalized alike. Uh, these movements of the exploited poor, uh, who, which they thought were a solution, ended up wiping out again everything for everyone. And the liberation methods that are chosen by the excluded and the pushed down they would profoundly backfire uh, for everyone in Galilee and in Judea. And uh, roughly 30 years earlier, we find this itinerant Jewish prophet of the poor um, who endeavored to cast a a societal vision of an alternative path. And, And it was a leap for both ends of the social, economic, political spectrum. He, he called the wealthy elites uh, to see humanity's interconnectedness, our interconnectedness with, with others. And, and he called us to liquidate our, our vast possessions and, and redistribute 
um, their wealth to the poor. And this was not a call to an isolated individual, as some people believe. Rather, this was this was Jesus's message uh, to his audience at large in Luke 12. He said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. That's Luke 12, uh, 33. And you can see, I'll put a link to the, the e-site where we discussed this uh, just a couple weeks ago. But but later in the book of Acts, the, the first act by all wealthy Jesus followers to one degree or another was to share. Um, it says in Acts 2, 40-45, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And then watch this. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So in the book of Acts, this was an indispensable act in, in, in what it meant to follow Jesus. This would help us make sense of why Jesus was unpopular, at least, with the majority of the economic elites of his day. Following him meant they they embraced his uh, radical plan for wealth redistribution. Um, that, that, that makes sense why Jesus was so unpopular with them. And if you think that's a naive hope, Jesus's message to the desperate poor was equally a long shot. It was one of resistance, but of nonviolent resistance. It was a call to, to see our interconnectedness again with one another, uh, the humanity of our, our enemies. Uh, it was a call to, to liberation and justice. Uh, yet this resistance was to be expressed through self-affirming and justice-confronting militant nonviolence. And he called the exploited down a path that would, yes, remove power to hurt others from those in control of the present society, but it would not remove those very ones from humanity itself. It was a call for them also to love their enemies. And this was a tension that uh, was well felt, and and it's also expressed well, I think, by the words of Barbara Deming in her book, The Revelation and Revolution and Equilibrium. She writes on page sixteen, with one hand, and I've shared this statement before, but it, it bears repeating. With one hand, we say to one who is angry, or to an oppressor, or to an unjust system, "Stop what you're doing. I refuse to honor the role you are choosing to play. I refuse to obey you. I refuse to cooperate." with your demands. I refuse to build the walls and the bombs. I refuse to pay for the guns. With this hand, I will even interfere with the wrong you are doing. I want to disrupt the easy pattern of your life. So there's the militant nonviolence side. It says, but then the advocate of nonviolence raises the other hand. It is stretched out or outstretched, maybe with love and sympathy, maybe not, but always outstretched. With this hand, we say, I won't let go of you or cast you from the human race. I have faith that you can make better choices than you're making now, and, I and I'll be here when you're ready. Like it or not, we are part of one another. Active nonviolence is a process that holds these two realities of non-cooperation with violence 
but open to the humanity of the violator intention. It is like saying to our opponent, on the one hand, symbolized by the hand firmly stretched out, signaling stop, I will not cooperate with your violence or injustice. I will resist it with every fiber of my being. And on the other hand, symbolized by the hand with its palm turned open and stretched toward the other, I am open to you as a human being. Again, this was Jesus's call to to militant nonviolent resistance uh, that that was just as naive for the oppressed as wealth redistribution uh, was for, or it was perceived as naive rather uh, for the oppressed as as wealth redistribution was for the wealthy. But even if those on the undersides and edges of society embrace nonviolent resistance, um, especially the nonviolent resistance that Jesus called them to to learn to see the humanity of their oppressors and to to to, to seek distributive justice rather than revenge, answering the call not to cast out oppressors from the human race, but to leave open the possibility for oppressors to choose to listen and to change and to embrace embrace changing uh, along with the changes in larger society, it's difficult. Nonetheless, enemy love was also a part of Jesus's message. We can't deny that. And And to enemies, Jesus said, stop being enemies. And to the exploited, Jesus said, leave open the possibility that exploiters may also change, that we're not just changing uh, society, the, the rules of society, we're actually changing uh, the hearts of people at the same time. But, but both sides met Jesus's vision for society with a level of resistance and depending on their social location. And today, our society's economic exploitation and classism it's compounded by the, the interlocking network of the, the social sins of racism, of sexism, of heterosexism, with nationalism and militarism thrown into the mix. And, and today's struggle for a society characterized by distributive justice or restorative justice, it's complex. But, but solving the economic exploitation of the poor, it, it won't necessarily reverse our other societal sins. Examples are economic solutions in the past that intentionally left out uh, people of color. Uh, There's a short NPR interview uh, that I'll I'll put a link to this week as well that illustrates this, um, I think, beautifully. It's uh, an interview entitled, Historians Say Don't Sanitize How Our Government Created Ghettos. It's worth your listen. And uh, nevertheless, some movements today they address economic disparities between the 1% and the rest of society, and they acknowledge race. Um, we can work together through a distributive justice for everyone, but we must engage the socio-political and the religious-cultural solutions in holistic ways. That's the point. Uh, holistic ways that recognize uh, and they name and they address the above interlocking systems of oppression, including our racism, our, our classism, our sexism, and our heterosexism. If we deal with how oppression just affects one sector of society, we aren't dealing, we're just cutting down a tree, we aren't dealing with the forest, we're not dealing with uh, the root, we're not dealing with oppression itself. Oppression intersects each one of our lives differently, and, and it's not enough to deal with how it might just intersect with one sector of society's life. We need to cut at the root of it all and how it, how it intersects with every person who experiences uh, domination or subjugation 
in our society. And this, to me, is what it means to follow the Jesus of, of Luke 4, 18 through 19, whose, whose life and ministry was spent alongside the poor, alongside women, and, and in solidarity with outcast people, uh, to only be concerned with the economic impact of oppression, um, I, I think cuts it, it's a short-sighted summation of, of what Jesus was all about. In Luke 4, it's the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, the, cover, the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yes, there's there's economics in that, um, but it's 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 oppression in general to set all who are oppressed free. And in our saying this week, uh, Jesus was chiding his listeners' ability to tell the weather, but but not see the social, political, and economic catastrophe that was laying ahead of them and the solutions that they thought uh, would best serve them. And, and today, I have to pause and, and, and wonder the same thing. We're witnessing a political movement right now in the U.S. that, like in the first century Judea, plays on the economic hardships and the nationalism of a certain sector of American society. And tensions are escalating at home and abroad as a result. And they have the potential to to produce a backlash that could wipe out everything for everyone, rich, poor, elite, socially marginalized alike. The liberation methods that we choose matter. And genuine liberation cannot be accomplished on the backs of other marginalized and exploited people. Like Fannie Lou Hammer reminds us, nobody's free until everybody's free. And again, we're witnessing today a number of people who have placed their their hope in a solution that is deeply problematic for a majority of others. And I cannot help but ask, uh, what's on our horizon? How will things escalate over the next four years? Racial tensions are escalating. Sexist tensions are escalating. Homophobic and transphobic tensions are escalating. Uh, Ecological tensions are escalating. Global global nuclear tensions are are quickly escalating. Uh, Are we headed swiftly toward our own Gehenna, which wipes out everything for everyone alike? And remember, we're in this together. We may not all be the same, but we are all connected. We may be different, but we're all part of the same varied human family. And when we fail to recognize our interconnectedness to one another, when we try to solve society's problems for ourselves while we turn our backs, or even worse, uh, we, we worsen the societal problems of our neighbor, we're headed down a path which historically leaves nothing for all of us. Our saying this week, sayings Gospel Q, again, 12, 54 through 56, he said to them, when evening has come, you say, good weather, for the sky is flame red, and at dawn today is wintry, for the lowering sky is flame red. The face of the sky you know to interpret, but the time you are not able to. Heart group application this week, I mentioned a list of tensions that are presently escalating in Western societies today. And Jesus commissioned us to be sources of healing 
despite those tensions. And here's that list again. We talked about racial tensions, sexist tensions, homophobic and transphobic tensions, uh, ecological tensions, global nuclear tensions. Number one this week, which, which tensions would you add to this list? Number two, where do you see these tensions escalating in our world today? And list examples of where you see that escalation taking place. And then number three, in what ways in your own sphere of influence can you work to bring reparation, to bring healing, to bring justice-rooted peace, not just calm or lull or or passiveness, but justice-rooted peace to these escalating tensions in our communities and and make another list with these and then pick something from from that last list and, and put it into practice this week. And what we choose, what we do, it affects those around us. We are bound up with one another and we are each other's keeper. Uh, thanks for checking in with us this week. I want to thank all of you again who are supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries. It's people like you who enable us to exist and to be a, a positive resource in our world and the work of survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. And if you're new to Renewed Heart Ministries, we're a not-for-profit group informed by the sayings and teachings of the historical Jesus, Jewish Jesus of Nazareth. And and we're passionate about centering our values and our ethics and the experiences of those on the undersides and on the margins of our societies. And you can find out more about us by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and the top left, uh, click on... uh, Uh, who is RHM. And everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is done with the purpose of making our resources as free as possible. And to do so, we need the people, the help of people like you. And if you'd you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift or you can become one of our monthly contributors by going to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of our homepage. Or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And make sure that in all of this, you sign up for our free resources on our website. That's the point. We have monthly newsletters. We have so much more that goes out. We have this weekly podcast, but there's a ton of resources on there that you can sign up for. And and all of your support helps. Anything that we receive beyond our annual budget, remember, we also pass on to other not-for-profits that are making systemic and personal differences in the lives of those less privileged in the status quo. We don't want to hold on to any of that. We want to, to, to what, what we receive over and above our needs, we want to pass on to help others who are in need. And for those of you already supporting our work, again, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm so glad you're on this journey with us. And where you are today, keep living in love, survival, resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation on our way together uh, to thriving. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.